Hello and welcome to this Drum Network podcast. Today we're going to be talking about mergers and acquisitions in agency land in 2024. I'm Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network, and I'm joined by three agency leaders who are going to help us dig into this topic. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves now. How about you first, Paul? Yeah, I, my name is Paul Stephen. I'm a Chief Growth Officer uh, for Remarkable Group. Uh, we're uh, an independent agency group. We used to have just one agency uh, called Sagittarius. And uh, in about 2019, we wanted to diversify. We had uh, Sagittarius had grown and, and was very successful in its own right. And it had been fairly focused on what it did. But there were other things that we wanted to do. So rather than sort of break what was good about Sagittarius, we decided to grip create a group of agencies and over the last sort of four or so years now we've now grown to four agencies we've done three acquisitions uh, most of it's been done via organic uh, you know we haven't had any funding but that's the, that's the next part of our journey um, yeah so hopefully I can bring uh, some of the work that's gone into that some of the experiences we've had and uh, and add value to this podcast fantastic thank you Paul um, how about you Emily hi so I'm Emily Winterbourne. I'm Managing Director of Impero. We're an independent creative agency based here in London. Prior to um, working in Impero, I used to work at FCB Inferno. Um, and I was part of uh, that agency for many years. So I was part of Inferno originally and, and part of the team that took them over to FCB Inferno when we were acquired for IPG. That was a massively successful um, agency merger and it, it kind of um, set the benchmark at the time for how they should be done. So I look forward to talking about that. But also along the way, I've been involved in acquiring a couple of other smaller agencies, both from a sort of network level and an um, independent agency level. Well, that'll be interesting. We can hear the difference between the, the large and the small as well. Um, thanks, Emily. And we have Nate all the way from Chicago today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Um, hello, I'm Nate Ullery. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the MX Group. Uh, the MX Group is one of the largest independent B2B agencies and have been focused entirely on B2B for the last 30 years. I spent the first 25 years of my career doing technology consulting, both advising private equity clients who are acquiring various companies. And my last place, we were a serial acquirer. We often um, acquired other consulting firms, typically one to two a year, with a focus on growing our, age, or our agency like 10 to 20% per year, um, just from acquisitions alone. I joined the MX Group three years ago to oversee our shared services functions, our project management functions, and to really drive that inorganic growth and helping our organization with our overall M&A strategy. And we completed our first acquisition uh, 15 months ago and have been focused on integrating uh, that team um, and their clients into our agency. Oh, thanks, Nate. And the MX Group's been really interesting, um, really super growth that we've been seeing over there. So I can't wait to hear a bit more about that too. Um, so let's maybe just start with a bit of a kind of state of the nation or state of the universe. Um, what is mergers and acquisitions? Why do agencies merge and acquire with each other? Um, bearing in mind as well, many of our listeners will be on the brand side, brand marketers. So um, why do agencies merge and acquire with each other? Um, and how does that affect how they work for brands? I can, I can start with... Some of the driving force behind the reason for merging and acquisition from our point of view is speed. Quite simply that, um, you know, if you want to sort of uh, 
grow by 50, 100, 200, let alone thousands of people. It sort of takes quite a while to do that, to grow. And, and it is expensive, et cetera. And sometimes it is just more cost effective, quicker, easier. You sometimes get the right blend of the different skills in, in the team that you acquire. So for us, when we were uh, looking to grow, we, when we worked out what we wanted to try and create, to do it without acquisition was just going to take way, way, way too long. Um, obviously, uh, as well, when you do it organically, you don't, uh, you can't guarantee the clients that you're going to get, if you like. Whereas when you acquire and only do you get the team, you get, you get the clients that come with it. Even if you don't sort of want all of them, you, you, you kind of, uh, at least you've got something to, to, to all the wheels and, and, and almost fuel the, fuel the growth as well. So they were the main drivers for why, why merge and acquire rather than, rather than, than grow organically. Well, that makes a lot of sense considering Nate was talking about 10 to 20% a year growth. Nate, what's your take on that? Yeah, so what we're seeing in the B2B agency space is the focus on M&A is all around increasing both the breadth and the depth of client relationships. Um, we really feel like the days of a marketing leader managing many agency relationships is is coming to an end. We're seeing that clients are demanding you know, fewer agency partnerships. And so uh, we're just seeing that uh, agencies are choosing to acquire other agencies so they can broaden the set of services they provide and then deepen that relationship with a particular client. And it makes sense, right? You know, how much brand work today doesn't lead it to demand work? What clients are doing work that doesn't have digital as a key component of it? How many geographies are going to be in every campaign that we work on? And so the reality is, is the agencies that are able to provide a breadth of capabilities and across different geographies are going to be in a better position to maintain that client relationship as clients um, you know, really kind of shrink down the number of agencies that they're working with. And so we feel the ones that are able to do that are the agencies that are going to win. And so we are in our space really seeing agencies do it entirely to expand their capabilities, broaden that geographic footprint. And we have seen a lot of consolidation happening. Um, you know, as I mentioned in my introduction, you know, as one of the largest B2B agencies in the United States, we are getting inquiries weekly from both agencies who are wanting to sell to us and be part of a larger platform because I think they're finding that they're struggling uh, to compete with some of the larger agencies. And we're getting reach outs from larger agencies or agencies who are trying to get into the U.S. market and seeing us as an opportunity to really grow what they're doing here in the United States and from a B2B standpoint. Mm, that's really interesting. And you talk about um, the, the acquisition of skills. Um, MX Group, um, one of your first acquisitions was a creative content agency, right? That's that's correct. And so um, we were introduced to uh, Imagination Publishing. They are a journalistic content marketing agency. And uh, one of our partners um, had worked with them in the past. They introduced them. We actually found a client opportunity or prospect that we were pitching that had a key component of um, journalistic content marketing as a need and the ask. And so we decided to partner with them. Um, my opinion, best way to find out if an agency is a good acquisition target is to jointly pitch with them, find out how they work, how they win work, and then hopefully to jointly deliver on client work together. So you can really understand, you know, what is the um, capabilities, how strong is their client work, how do they treat their clients, you know, do the folks in their agency feel like 
central casting from from your own agency and you know there's going to be mm. a fit. So we did win that client pitch together and had some good conversations and uh, it kind of naturally evolved into uh, one plus one equal three and um, deciding to uh, join our two agencies together and bring that capability on. Um, and events focused over the last 14 months or so around how do we continue to integrate what we're doing um, and uh, cross-sell our clients so that our clients are getting the benefit of this new capability and their clients, because they were a niche before, um, able to see that they can now get some broader agency services uh, from the MX Group. Super. It's all going on at MX Group. <laughs> and um, Emily, what's your take on that? From a brand marketer's um, point of view, I guess it's worth just thinking about when it works well for a brand marketer and, and when it works less well, right? Um, and I think, you know, when it can work really well from a client's point of view is, you know, as you said, Nate, when you're talking about skill set, when we're broadening that skill set out because the agency were missing skill sets that maybe they needed or geographical reasons, right? You know, that can work for the agency. It can also work really well for the brand um, for the brand client. But I think it also can work really well from a client perspective if, we're, if it's about people. You know, agencies often, sometimes we'll see these mergers happen, right, where it's about buying those people and bringing in, it can be from a leadership level um, as well as that skill set level. And that, that can work really well. That was definitely our experience in um, FCB, draft FCB and Inferno when they were brought together. It was a reverse takeover. So the Inferno board took over draft FCB, the network agency. Um, and that worked well, you know, famous, famously Adam and Eve, DDB, similar, right? So it works really well when it when it's a, it's about the people. The times I think from a client's perspective, it doesn't work. It can be more challenging. And, and often this is part of the reason that networks and agencies do merge and acquire. But I think from a client perspective, it's harder to make the case when we are talking about reducing costs, as we, we see with a lot of these big network mergers, um, buying scale, buying clients. Paul, I, I, I hear you. It can be really useful from an agency side. But from a client's benefit, there's a bit more of the challenge there that we have to make sure we're responding to. And the other time I see it really not working for a client is when you're taking two problems and trying to fix them by putting them together, right? It doesn't work. You know, you can become stronger than the sum of your parts if the two parts work well together. To Nate's point, you've already done that due diligence. When there's two problems, it's not going to fix it to put them together. That's good advice. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we heard um, Nate talking about one plus one equals three. And Emily, you talk about bigger than the sum of the parts. Um, can, can you name any instances from your experience where, um, you know, any actual acquisitions where that's really worked? Yeah, I mean, I, I gave that example of FCB Inferno. We we merged with Inferno was a independent, uh, very creative led, did a lot of uh, ATL work. Uh, Draft FCB were a huge name traditionally, but in London, they were sort of being seen very much as a CRM below the line agency. And together, uh, they just we just became a powerhouse. We won the full BMW account, um, doing everything in the UK for BMW, which was huge uh, piece of business in that first year. We won um, This Girl Can for Sport England, you know, like really big, huge accounts, which I don't think we probably would have probably would have been able to go for as the individual part. So that's, a, a, you know, a great example. And it's about confidence, isn't it? it you know, we are in a business of um, brand, right? We're all about creating brands and, and clients need to have confidence in us and people need to have confidence in us. And it works well when we do that. But sometimes these mergers aren't about confidence and they, they just seem 
just not to make sense to the outside world. And, and in those instances, we've sort of slightly forgetting what we know about creating great brands for our clients. We have to create great brands for ourselves. And I think an example of that, and I, I just saw recently was um, the whole engine to House 337. I think House 337, I think I've got that right. But, you know, they went from WCRS and partners and all the, all the, all the things they were. They became engine which was odd, but it happened. And, and now they've ch- changed name again with the addition of odd. And I, you know, I don't know much about that. And I'm sure there are many reasons they've done that and very good reasons from, a, from the holding company's point of view. But to us on the outside, as a brand level, I, I don't quite get it. So yeah, I think for us, we need to remember what we're here to do, create great brands, sell great brands and give confidence to clients and our people. Very good overview. I'm um, talking of confidence for the client. So if um, a client's agency happens to merge or be acquired or acquire another agency, what is the client likely to notice, um, you know, instantly? Do, do sometimes these mergers and acquisitions take place and the client doesn't even know the difference? Or is it is it usually quite obvious to the client when something's going on? I guess there's probably not one answer to that. I, I know with the approach we've tried to take is obviously remember, yeah, the clients bought into that original agency, right? So they're they're quite happy they weren't part of this journey. So we've tried where possible to try and make it as gentle and seamless as possible. And 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 and, and quite often in a lot of these acquisitions and mergers, the people don't go anywhere, right? If you, the account managers who were looking after you are still an account manager in this new thing, whatever it is. So therefore, a lot of the sort of customer-facing sort of stuff, that's the bit that, like you say, clients would notice. Uh, and, and that's the thing for, uh, that's in the mergers and acquisitions we've done at Remarkable Group. That's sort of the first question they ask, what's going to change, what are they going to notice? And once you sort of reassure them that either, you know, the things they don't want to change aren't going to change or actually the things we're going to change are going to be an improvement, that that actually ends up in a positive situation. Usually they're, their worry and fear is more the fear of unknown, if you like, really, when they when they first discover it. Once you've sort of made that clear to them, um, we've we've had a, a, a smoother ride. But but uh, going back to one of the comments about the confidence question is actually by an agency being part of a larger thing, um, the clients do gain confidence in your scale. You've now got more stability. You're, you know, if you're you know when you go from being a sort of twenty or thirty man agency to a hundred person agency, you're a different proposition. Um, and that confidence not only means something to the clients, it means something to the partners you work with. So certainly we've seen as we've grown, we get invited to larger opportunities. We get referred more opportunities from partners that we work with, for example, because we are larger. Uh, you know, Now the team that might have delivered that piece of work might be the same team, but now it's because it's part of a bigger thing. Um, there's more confidence in our ability to deliver it. We're more resilient. As a as an agency, and and that would be the you know the, the the thing I think that's good about if your your agency is acquired and come becomes part of a bigger thing, it is probably safer. It is probably um, more resilient. It's more able to adapt. And and if 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 uh, even if things are uh, you know there's a bumpy ride at the beginning, a bigger agency has the ability to adapt and deal with that. You know it can can uh, change the way your account is managed, etc. So that so that they look after you. Whereas a, a small agency can't always do that. So so M and A, the positive side of M and A is absolutely the the broader range of skills. That's what, that's kind of why we did it. 
because of the speed we wanted to add those skills, it meant that we could cross-sell. I mean, this is the, the difference between, I suppose, a, a bit like ourselves and MX Group. Perhaps we're growing the agency to be multidisciplinary with different different things in it. Not all mergers and acquisitions do that. They might be just scaling up the, the skill set they've got. But for us, it's about um, really giving a broader range of services that, like you say, if we're working with a client who's of a certain scale and, and, and is buying one particular service from us, then they, they absolutely probably need all the other skills. So we should be in a position to to be able to provide that. And what we've tried to do is then create uh, separate practices, if you like, now within the group that are brilliant at that. You know, if you're if you're working, uh, you know, on somebody and they're really good at, at one particular discipline uh, and they win awards at that and they're fantastic at that. If you if you now need something different, it would be great to be able to work with another part of the group. And again, that agency or that brand is also sort of an award winning in that thing, uh, rather than be a kind of an agency that's maybe sort of all things to all people and jack of all trades. So yeah, there's there's lots of confidence and good things about that come with uh, with mergers and acquisitions, in my view. And Nate, you know, so when I mean, it sounds like you're doing lots of acquisitions as well. Um, when an acquisition happens, I mean, do you have a do you sort of have to do a certain communication to the client? Is there a certain process you take them through? Um, you know, if I was your client, uh, what would happen to me if um, if you acquired some new services? Yeah, so our philosophy at the MX Group when when we're looking at acquisitions is it really is broadening that service capability. And so we do want to take that new capability into our existing clients and to sell our our other services into the clients of the agency that we acquired. But at the end of the day, when you do an acquisition in the agency space, you know, we're not buying equipment, we're not buying patents and trademarks. What we're really buying are really talented individuals who have relationships amongst each other and have relationships with their clients. And so from a client perspective, um, we really believe that clients should not expect a disruption at all when you do an acquisition. You know, our philosophy is first, we provide an extravagant welcome to the team who's now joining our agency and our new colleagues. And what can we do to make them feel super excited about the fact that they're now part of the MX group? Our second thing that we really focus on is doing no harm to that acquired agency. We want to make sure that they can continue to do the great work that they have been known for for their clients so the clients don't see any disruption and that our people that have joined the agency can see that they still have the freedom to do the great work that they have always done. And so we really focus on that, that do no harm. Over time, we do begin to integrate And over time, we do begin to have more conversations with both sets of clients about this new capability that's there. And so we'll introduce it softly in the beginning, you know, in press releases and emails out to clients. And over time, ask for meetings to begin to have that cross-pollination come to fruition. And, you know, I really recommend as a client, if their agency is acquired, make time for those meetings. Um, You know, there really is an opportunity for clients to say, hey, Can I deepen my relationship with the MX group? Can I minimize the amount of time I spend managing different agency relationships and and spend more time really focusing on the work um, that's going to move the needle? Um, You know, are there capabilities that you're not currently utilizing in your marketing program that you now have super easy access to? And so, you know, from a client perspective, there are lots of benefits, um, especially when the acquiring agency is really focused on retaining the staff and letting them continue to do their great work. 
Yeah, so thinking about from a client's point of view, because I, I totally agree with everything the guys have said. There are there are tons of benefits that a client will experience, and uh, you know that everything as long as they've got that consistent team, they should get the access to more brains, different thinking, better insights. You know, uh, there's there's tons of really positive things. I, I think the thing we have to be careful of as agency leaders, and I, and I think when you see it go wrong, is when it happens quickly. The team don't. Un- there's two. That that feeling of um, disruption is felt by the client. And and you know, Nate, you talked about the things you do to stop that happening really nicely. Then, but that's so important because from a client, you know, I talked about confidence earlier. They should still have confidence, but it's easy to lose that confidence if the team is not properly prepped. If you haven't done all that work, you so often see these instances where you know especially smaller agencies that the leaders are probably in the lawyer's office till two in the morning and they're exhausted the next day. You tell the team, tell the world and it, it's kind of deal with it. And um, so, you know, I think we're all much better at dealing with those kind of things now than maybe in, in the past. But I, I think that that planning that Nate talks about and making sure everyone is in the agency feeling good about it and, and well, well sort of briefed is the most important thing. Mm, internal comms before external comms it sounds like common sense but it maybe is a bit easy to get carried away right <laughs> well it just happens quickly you know yeah. these legal things they're not they're not simple deals are they i mean no. of course, especially when you're talking about these big things you know big mergers that that, that probably nate you're you're referring to they're, they're huge deals you can't just they they don't they're not done lightly mm. Talking of big deals, so in 2023, of course, we had some pretty mega mergers going on, um, and it sounds like you've all had your own versions of mergers, both large and small as well. Um, What do you predict uh, we'll see in terms of mergers and acquisitions with agencies this year? I think it will continue, but maybe for different reasons. I think 22 and 23, a lot of acquisitions kind of happened just to get the scale quickly, there was, a, you know, it was really difficult to hire and expensive to hire. And like I said earlier, probably easier, cheaper, quicker to, to acquire. Then I think tail end of 2023, where things were getting a bit tougher and everybody was having to cut costs, then you got a lot of mergers and acquisitions and consolidation to save cost, which is a very different reason to, 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 to the scaling issue that I talked about. I think 2024 might continue a bit more in that vein. I think there will be uh, the need to diversify and it's quite difficult to grow. Um, in certain markets, we're certainly seeing uh, slowing things. So therefore, mergers and acquisitions are quite useful for that because you can kind of continue to grow and consolidate uh, through M&A. And I think because things have been a bit tough over the last six months, it's been a sort of slow end of 2023 and 2024, I, I suspect will not get worse, or but I'm not sure it's going to get a lot, lot better. I think it's going to be a bit more of the same. Um, I think people can then see consolidation happen because there'll be other some agencies that are not doing that well they're, they're just sort of bobbing along and they're not they're not hitting the numbers they used to hit or uh, and so therefore being acquired uh, and they might they might feed into Nate's comment earlier that you know they being acquired is probably because is possibly because uh, they're not doing so well whereas at the beginning of 2023 they wanted to be acquired because they've just had the best last 12 months and EBITDA that they've had in 10 years um, so I think it's a, so. I think M and A will continue, but possibly for different reasons. Yeah. So in the B two B space, 
you know, the last couple of years have had so much consolidation that I actually think we're going to start to see things slow down um, as as agencies absorb what they've already acquired. Um, you know, first private equity has been driving so much consolidation. You know, as one example, um, it was announced, you know, in Q4 of last year, RTC Partners simultaneously acquired four agencies to create one 200 plus person B2B agency. You know, and they literally closed on all of them at the same time. You know, an organization like that is probably going to wait a little bit longer before they do their fifth acquisition to make sure that they can really bring those four agencies together um, and, and continue to serve clients well. And frankly, we've seen some other consolidations that have happened quickly like that, that they have had challenges. Um, we are um, hearing from some of their senior folks that they're looking for other opportunities or they've had, unfortunately, have had to have layoffs. And when you have that kind of turnover, you know, you begin to see client um, turnover as well. And so uh, I think that we're going to see agencies kind of take a step back and make sure that they were able to integrate well what they've acquired. And frankly, they paid such high premiums for so many of these agencies, they really got to see some of the profitability match what they've already invested. You know, we chased a couple of opportunities and, you know, what we put in what we thought was a very strong and healthy offer. And then we heard um, what they were getting from other private equity backed agencies as an offer. And I could only say, you should take that offer. You know, congratulations, good for you. Um, and so, you know, obviously these financial sponsors, they're going to be looking for a return on their investment and they're going to need to make sure that they're really focused on improving their operations um, and, and getting their profitability levels up. So as well, I think we'll see some slowdown um, in that space um, for the next couple of years as they really focus on, on that integration and that efficiency. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would agree with Paula. I think that with uh, the financial, you know, things so tr tricky out there, consumer confidence low, all those things, I think we will continue to see um, in this tough financial climate. I think we'll continue to see consolidations and mergers. Uh, I, I guess I've got a bit of a hope, a hope rather than a prediction. I hope at the end of uh, 2024, we still see a good number, a power of independent names out there. I hope that we see, uh, you know, that it brings the end of the year, we still see some of these good, strong, independent agencies out there because I do think um, they bring something to the marketplace. Uh, you know, we need networks. We need big uh, powerhouse agencies. We also need the slightly different thinking from independents. So, yeah, I hope that the year ends with strong, independent names still out there. For me, 2023, the uncommon um, purchase was just such a, well, it was mind boggling in many ways. We weren't expecting it. It was an unusual coupling. I'm, I'm sure it, they're only going to do brilliantly because they are brilliant. But um, yeah, I hope this year ends with some good names still out there. <laughs> Power to the indies. There's still room for them. <laughs> um, and what about with the, the development of the different types of skills that have been um bubbling up or, or perhaps exploding um, over the last year. So AI obviously being on the tip of everyone's tongue um, and a lot of agencies trying to sort of productize with their own tech offerings. Does that lean more towards, I don't know, uh, marketing agencies acquiring tech companies or tech companies acquiring marketing agencies? Have you seen anything? A remarkable group. We are always trying to think, well, what is a client going to need from us as an agency in two, three, five years' time? That's probably about as far as we, we dare crystal gaze. So, so what our clients wanted three, five years ago is very different to what they need from us now. 
uh, as what they can do in house changes, as the, the you know the the tool set that's built into the DXP platforms, what you can do with a CRM that you didn't used to be able to do two or three years ago. I mean, I mean with AI, it's what you could do a year ago is very different to what you can do now. So, so I think we're all having to adapt to that. Certainly, at Remarkable Group, we're looking at well, what is the right services what are the right rates to charge for those services something that used to be a premium thing is now no longer valued because you can get that you know you can do that yourself or ai to do it or or whatever so i think all agencies have got to spend uh, a lot of time thinking well what are that what is their proposition now what is it to a client what does it represent to a client where do they genuinely where can we genuinely add value and and not sort of do well we've done it like that for ages i mean every business should be adapting all the time but i think but for certainly agency services now, it could be a very different world in a few years to come. So um, I think we're, we're, we're all wrestling with that. I don't think we all, we've all got it perfect. Yeah, I agree with Paul. You know, I think as an agency leader, we always have to be thinking, where are our clients needing us to be You know, a year or two, three down the road? And then understanding that, what services, what capabilities do we need to have? And then we have to ask ourselves the question, um, will we get there faster and more cost effectively by hiring those key individuals to build that capability? Or can we do it faster or more um, economically by acquiring a small agency that's already built an offering there that we can bring on board and, and immediately integrate? And so depending on what the capability is, your answer may be very different. Um, but it's something a, a question that has to be asked by agency leaders um, consistently. I mean, going back to uh, one of the other reasons for mergers as well is actually, I mean, uh, I mentioned, not mentioned earlier, but we do quite a lot of work in the Middle East now. And therefore, the market in the Middle East and what they want to buy versus what the UK wants to buy versus our office in North America, they're very, very different. Uh, so actually, the mergers and acquisitions help you sort of, I don't know, deal with some of those ebbs and flows, really, because not all markets are behaving the same. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, we have a, a strategy of either trying to do more of the same in a new territory so that, therefore, we're taking something that we're good at, we're known for, et cetera, and moving into a, a new geographical market. Or, obviously, we can, uh, we can where we've got an established market uh, and established audiences is now broaden, broaden the skill base that we can offer to them. That's kind of the, the, the two sort of key ways we look at where a merger and acquisition is going to help us grow faster. Thinking about that, um, sort of territories and the shift in international markets, I guess, um, a lot of wealth or consumer power has shifted from the EU really over to China. Uh, Does that mean that you're all thinking of acquiring um, agencies in China or vice versa? Yeah, I mean, from a B2B space, um, it still feels like the U.S. is the center of gravity. And so we have chosen at this time to stay really focused on the United States and, and North America um, and chosen at this point um, to have really deep relationships with agencies in other parts of the world that we can tap into uh, when that work is necessary. I'm sure over time that will continue to change as the world gets smaller. Um, but right now with you know the size that we are and the leadership bandwidth that we have and um, and you add a lot of complexity um, just from a back office compliance standpoint by trying to be in many different countries that we've chosen to have really deep partnerships today, um, but that I'm sure will evolve um, in the years ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really interesting point actually, um, because thinking of predictions, agencies are much better 
today than they were in the past at working with other agencies. You know, I, I remember when I was early in my career, it was the enemy. You know, you literally, a cross-agency group was something you sort of dreaded. And now we love it. We embrace it. And we have many great partners um, around the world in different disciplines in, in, in the UK. But I think across the board, agencies embrace that. And it's probably for a lot of reasons like the fact we don't get AI. And if someone else gets it better than us, then fantastic. Let's, let's use their skills. And the same when we look at geography. So, yeah, I, I can see that happening more and more and, and good for us for doing it. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, for, for us, our partnership then is our strongest is with Braylino um, in the UK. And, you know, when you stay focused on treating your people well, having that camaraderie and fun and doing great work for your clients, then what name on the business card doesn't matter, right? Your clients just want great work. And as long as you guys can, everybody can put their egos aside and say, how do we do that great work for the clients? Then, then the clients really benefit. And so we have found that to be very powerful and very helpful. Um, and, you know, we appreciate the fact that, um, you know, Braylino is part of the mission organization. We can tap into skill sets and geographies that, that they have access to through their network. And so it really does work well to, to provide the best services to our clients. I can't believe how uh, much we've covered in quite a short space of time, um, but we are running out of time. So if you could, um, your, what's your parting thought, um, your sort of, Parting, overriding one-liner from this conversation and mergers and acquisitions for agencies in 2024, what, what springs to mind as your one parting thought? I think, I think uh, mergers and acquisitions is generally all around a positive things for all those involved. For the one who's acquiring, uh, obviously, it's how you grow and scale. And, and with them, with scale, becomes the opportunity to, to, to sort of, you know, work on bigger clients, more exciting work, etc. So that should be uh, really exciting for the both teams, you know, the team that was in maybe the, the, the first agency versus the one that's being acquired. Um, so that should be good. Uh, it should be good for the clients as well because they end up with a broader range of services and hopefully a more resilient agency to work with. And, uh, and, and I, and I think, uh, the, the agencies that are struggling, one of the, one of the, uh, the things I always sort of think about and I've seen over the years is, because agencies is generally full of sort of creatives or creatives or techies, they're not always brilliant business people. That don't they don't usually sort of uh, it'd be a broad statement to say they're not they, they can't be cut from the same cloth. But uh, um, so therefore, there are loads of brilliant agencies out there that are just not necessarily commercially that savvy. Um, so emerging acquisitions does help you know brilliant agencies uh, you know go on to survive and become more more commercially viable. Hopefully. Um, so I think all those things are positive. You know, as I think about um, M&A in the, the B2B agency space, um, I think it will continue to happen. Um, there's lots of small agencies that are out there. Um, you find lots of agencies that kind of struggle to get beyond, you know, 25, maybe 50 people. And as, um, as clients continue to re require more sophistication and more scale, um, that consolidation will continue to happen. I think there's some demographic reasons behind it. You know, you've got agency principals who are approaching retirement ages and need to look at kind of what's next for life for them. Um, and so I think as we look at the next five years, we will continue to see consolidation um, in the B2B agency space. And so, you know, what I would tell clients is embrace it, um, be curious about it, um, ask your partners at the agency, you know, how is this going to impact um, our relationship, how can we work together? Um, how can we make um, this beneficial for my business? Um, because I think 
almost every agency goes into this with how is this better for my people and how is this better for my clients? That really is the intent. Um, you're sure it's hard to bring groups together, but when that intent is there, uh, most of the time it works out and it works out for um, the benefit of our clients and for our people. I, I totally agree with everything the guys have said. M&As can be incredibly positive. Um, they can become greater than the sum of their parts, but we do have to just remember when they work and when they don't work because they can happen, um, especially in network groups. They can sometimes, to, it, it, it can kind of feel a bit, it doesn't work for the world in general. So yeah, I think doing them for the right reasons and making sure we have the right component parts is the most important thing as we go forward, especially in this ever so increasingly difficult financial climate that we find ourselves in. Thank you so much to our esteemed guests for helping us to understand what's what goes on under the bonnet of um, this sometimes secretive world of mergers and acquisitions. Um, it's usually for the benefit of the client because how could it not be when an agency is really doing it with the thought in mind of what do our clients need and want from us in two to five years time. So provided uh, it's all done with the best intent and um, not done too fast or too slow, um, then it should really be for the benefit of everybody. But be curious, ask questions and make sure that you know what's going on all along the way. Those were my takeouts from our brilliant guests. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. And I do hope that you'll join us again sometime soon. Thank you.